If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. If you're curious to learn more about the latest cannabinoid darling, Delta 8, you're in the right place. I reached out to Dr. V back in the spring about recording this podcast, and the stars finally aligned for us to catch up in person for a few days in August. We chat about the science of creating Delta-8 out of both Delta-9 THC and hemp-based CBD, and the qualities of the cannabinoid that we love so much. Dr. V pulls back the curtain on product formulation, testing, and what's on the horizon. But first, a word from our sponsor, MJ Relief, PhD formulated for what aches and pains you, by today's guest, Dr. Monica Vielpondo. We began batch producing the Muscle Rub for friends and family almost five years ago now. So I'm excited to share this story of relief from Dr. V's dad, Leon Vielpondo. Back in uh, November of last year, I had a significant fall in my backyard. Uh, Fast forward a little bit. On the 2nd of February, I had a uh, total reverse shoulder replacement. I ingested high doses of CBD and CBG for inflammation on a tincture that I'd put together, uh, you know, through the guidance of my daughter. I also rubbed the topical next to the incision, but not on it. Once the scar was healed, I rubbed it all over my shoulder. Through this whole time, I never took any of the narcotics that were issued to me. One day, the case manager from the orthopedic surgeon's office called me and says, hey, how are you doing for pain meds. I says, I've still got a full bottle. And she was rather surprised. And I said, no, I've been taking the uh, CBD, CBG, and nothing more. Um, I'll use CBN for sleeping. And of course, the muscle rub. It's one of the best things that's ever been developed. If you're feeling Leon's pain and want some muscle and joint relief of your own, head over to mjskinrelief.com and order a tube for you and someone you love. And if you're already a fan of MJ Relief like Leon, please share a video or voice memo and let me share your story of relief on the podcast. You can also leave a written review on the website. That's mjskinrelief.com.
and follow at MJ Skin Relief if you're a social butterfly. The Sustainability Roll-Up is presented by OCB Rolling Papers. In perfect harmony with natural, sustainable practices, it's always been the OCB signature to provide the highest quality, responsibly sourced, and sustainably crafted rolling papers. According to the USDA, the value of U.S. agricultural exports to China rose almost 109% to $28.8 billion between 2019 and 2020. That accounted for one quarter of all farm shipments, or 55.5 million tons. In 2018, China purchased 302 million bushels of soybeans. Last year, China increased those to 1.27 billion bushels. In 2012, China's purchase of U.S. corn peaked at 171 million bushels. Last year, China bought a record 272 million bushels. The People's Republic is now buying more American-grown farm goods than it did before the trade war. And U.S. agricultural officials expect the demand to continue growing. New Frontier data estimates that the value of U.S. agricultural exports to China will rise to $31.5 billion in 2022. Now, if that doesn't make you nervous, then I'm not sure you're paying attention. As of March 1st, agricultural exports to China had reached $6.1 billion, the second fastest purchase pace since 2014. Subsequently, meat and crops exports are approaching record volumes to China. While surging agricultural exports to China have invigorated the U.S. farm economy, some lawmakers view China's influence on America's food supply as a national security risk leading to the introduction of policy aimed at curbing the volume of agricultural commodities crossing the Pacific. Chinese firms have expanded their presence in American agriculture over the last decade by snapping up farmland and purchasing major agribusinesses like pork processing giant Smithfield Foods. By the start of 2020, Chinese owners controlled about 192,000 agricultural acres in the U.S., worth $1.9 billion, including land used for farming, ranching, and forestry, according to the Agriculture Department. While lawmakers remain laser-focused on Chinese buyers, other nationals own even more agricultural property in the United States. Foreign investors by the end of 2019 held an interest in more than 35 million acres, an area bigger than New York State. The total has grown by an average 2.3 million acres per year since 2015, according to USDA data. Yeah, yeah, Joanna, why does this matter to me as a consumer? Ah, <sighs> well... I'm confident there are more reasons than I can possibly articulate, but a couple of highlights for me include one, it's already been established that big ag is terrible for the environment and for the health of the farm workers who tend to the fields and touch those crops and their families who are affected by the residual pesticides brought home on their clothes. And it's terrible for the factory workers who process those crops into fibers for clothes or to make compostable products. I want evidence of foreign investors honoring the land and feeding the soil using sustainable farming practices. 
Find one. Send them my way. I'm open. I want to know. If you live near a big ag operation, I encourage you to find out who owns that land and check into their farming practices and their involvement in the community. Of course, be warned that it's a massive undertaking to verify who really owns the land, according to Joe Maxwell, president of the progressive advocacy group Family Farm Action. Quote, these foreign interests are pretty smart. They use different business structures to further conceal it. For example, foreign investors can set up limited liability companies in the U.S. and designate an American owner to circumvent the reporting requirements while still controlling the operation behind the scenes, end quote. If you know someone who works at a feedlot or on a giant farm, oh my God, ask them what it's like. How do they treat the animals? How do they protect and nurture the soil and care for sick plants? Is it Monsanto style or are they actually working with nature to close the loop to create a healthy ecosystem? Ask questions. Stay curious. One of the best things I ever did for my health was to start paying attention to the source of what I was feeding myself both physically and mentally. Another reason I think who owns America's farmland matters is that whoever controls the food controls the population. I don't really think I need to say more than that, except that it leads into my next reason. The majority of U.S. farms are experiencing either severe drought or flooding. Water is being restricted or cut off to many small farms, including the one where I live in California, jeopardizing harvests and people's livelihoods. Since water is at a premium, I prefer local American families and businesses tending our farmland and feeding our local communities. Rather than big ag companies notorious for poisoning our soil and shipping GMO corn and soy across the ocean to China so they can make shit for cheap and sell it back to us. Much of it under the guise of being green, I might add. Never mind that those compostable straws you feel better about using made two trips across the Pacific Ocean to get to your lips. Of course, it's not just foreign investors buying up America's farmland. Bill Gates and other billionaires have been buying up huge amounts of farmland. Gates is now the biggest owner of farmland in America. Uh, yikes. Like fucking triple yikes. And that's according to a Forbes report. After years of reports that he was purchasing agricultural land in places like Florida and Washington, the land report revealed that Gates, who has a net worth of $121 billion, according to Forbes, has built up a massive farmland portfolio spanning 18 states. His largest holdings are in Louisiana with 69,000 acres, Arkansas with almost 48,000 acres, and Nebraska with over 20,000 acres. Additionally, Gates has a stake in over 25,000 acres of transitional land on the west side of Phoenix, Arizona, which is being developed as a new suburb. Gates now owns 242,000 acres of farmland across the U.S., mostly through third-party entities by Cascade Investments, Gates' personal investment vehicle. According to Forbes, it is not known what Gates is doing with the land— although most of us have a pretty darn good idea, and Cascade Investments refused to comment on the issue. 
In terms of individual landowners, Gates is still far behind two media moguls. John C. Malone, who is in the top spot with 2.2 million acres of ranches and forests, and CNN founder Ted Turner, who owns 2 million acres of ranch land. Amazon's Jeff Bezos is also investing in land on a large scale, according to the report. While these billionaire, quote-unquote, philanthropists and technocrats are acquiring land at an accelerating speed, the future of owning private property will virtually cease to exist for the average American family. The money flowing into agricultural real estate from other countries, billionaire philanthropists and technocrats, makes it difficult for new farmers in the U.S. to afford land as these asshats bid up the prices. I'm personally witnessing third and fourth generation farmers reluctantly set to exit the industry because they simply can't afford to stay operational under these dire circumstances. According to Maxwell, when this land changes hands, they're going to gobble it up, he said of foreign buyers. These investments artificially increase the value of that land, which then denies young and beginning farmers opportunities to farm. All right. So what are the small actions that you and I can take right now to make a positive impact in our communities? Step one is to seek out, meet, and support your local farmers. If you live in a metro area, make a habit of shopping at the weekly farmer's market rather than the major grocery chain you frequent. And keep in mind that the majority of local farmers are farming organically, but they aren't certified organic because it costs thousands of dollars to get that certification. And most family farms don't have the extra cash flow to make it official. When in doubt, ask. And if you're a meat eater, support local sustainable meat producers who treat animals humanely throughout the process. Our bodies know the difference, so you'll feel healthier while also strengthening your community relationships and the local economy. And remember those grocery shelves during the panic of 2020? By shopping locally or directly through community-supported agriculture programs, you'll be less affected by nationwide interruptions in the food supply chain. Listen, I know there is some heavy shit happening in the world right now, but you don't have to be controlled by the chaos. It has been proven in experiments that laughter unleashes your killer T-cells, which eliminate cancer and other diseases. Fear, on the other hand, collars them. And fear's friends, worry, and stress... They also increase cortisol, which leads to weight gain and lowered immune response. So rather than worrying, freaking out, and fighting, turn off the TV, spark up your favorite flower, and keep your spirits lifted, my friend. Happiness is a choice. Gratitude is a choice. And so is choosing the right OCB rolling papers to suit your mood. OCB offers a full line of rolling papers made with sustainable fibers, including flax, wood, organic hemp, bamboo, and virgin wood. All come in a full line of sizes in both booklets and cones. Right now, I'm in a single-wide organic hemp phase. The smaller papers are perfect for my solo sesh. No matter which OCB rolling paper you choose, you can be assured all are vegan, GMO-free, chlorine-free, and dye-free. 
Plus, OCB only uses natural acacia gum for an always sticks experience sourced from African fields that OCB has been reforesting for decades. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lambkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com Of course, you must be 21 and older to buy OCB rolling papers and to follow the natural wonders of OCB on social at OCB underscore USA. If you're ready to master the art of hand-rolling your joints, visit ocbusa.com backslash baked to get four booklets of OCB and a rolling tray for only $4.99. And then I encourage you to tune in to Roll With Me, a video series airing on the Casually Baked YouTube channel, IGTV, and the WeedTube. The OCB bundle is worth 20 bucks and is around for a limited time. But the rolling skills and street cred we'll earn together, my friend, makes this offer priceless. As for you OGs who can roll a joint blindfolded, I challenge you to sample the entire line of OCB products and let me know your favorite. Ask for OCB wherever you buy your papers. You'll find links to the OCB special offer and the Roll With Me video series in the podcast 201 show notes at casuallybaked.com. The 2018 Farm Bill defines hemp and its byproducts as, quote, all derivatives, extracts, cannabinoids, isomers, acids, salts, and salts of isomers, whether growing or not, with a Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol concentration of not more than 0.3%, end quote. Based on that language, Delta-8 slips through the cracks and is legal by virtue of its not containing any Delta-9 THC. Producers are currently enjoying a brief period of limited regulation, high prices, and strong consumer demand. However, once fully regulated, opportunities will likely be limited, if not prohibitive, with significantly higher barriers to entry. As of the end of July, 34 states and the District of Columbia were reportedly allowing production, sale, possession, or consumption of Delta-8 THC while 16 states had restricted or banned it, with legislative reviews pending in five states. So, what's the deal with Delta-8? 
If you're ready for a formulation scientist perspective on Delta-8 and firsthand info on what it's like working with cannabinoids and why the process and testing matters to us as consumers, you're in for a good one. Settle in for this smoke sesh with my cannabis soul sister. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one smoke. This podcast is being recorded in Eureka, California, and I am sitting in front of the one and only Dr. Monica Villalpando. It's so good to see your face again. It is always great to see your face, Jojo. Um, thank you for welcoming me into the Papa and Barkley ballroom. Thank you for hosting me here. Well, thank you to Papa and Barkley for allowing me to stay in their ballroom. And and that's the very small favor I could repay to you, Joe, after <laughs> <laughs> my uh, year and a half of nomadic living. Well, and it's not like the nomadic living is over for you. No, not at all. But uh, so rare is the opportunity that I can host because of my nomadic living. There you go. Now, I am pleased that you will now be spending um, a little more time than usual in Northern California. Me too. Yeah. You want to tell us what you're up to here? Well, there's been some big changes uh, as of late and... I have taken on a new role as a research specialist at Pop and Barkley. And as a result, there's been some changes with V Innovations. And I decided to close down the consulting arm of the business to really focus in and hone in on the enviable technology, um, our patent pending process. And well, actually, the decision to um, stop the consulting was first and then still wanting, okay, I want to be in the lab. And, and, um, I'd been working with Papa and Barkley for over two years now and have gotten the opportunity to get to know the team. And, and so I approached them saying I'm, I'm on the market for some part-time work. So I, I dedicate three days a week for, for them. And yeah, it just worked out and I've just been, yeah, it's actually my first week official. Uh, I picked up my badge just, just earlier today. And it's just been really nice. I've, it gives me the opportunity to uh, go back to my roots in the lab. And I feel a creative sp- like surge come about. And just being here in Eureka, it, where it's so beautiful and, and just a different pace of life. And it's exactly what my soul needed after the the chaos of you know, well, actually just being a cannabis entrepreneur. And then on top of that with, with COVID, I just needed to take a, well, like all of us, we all took a step back and reevaluated what was best for us and the direction we wanted to go. And so I felt that, um, honing in on one aspect of via innovations was, was important. And then that would also, uh, free up this time to explore in the lab and, and be less in the boardroom. Um, because I prefer to wear uh, a lab coat <laughs> from day to day. That's so. right. An extra small lab An coat. An extra one. Yes, I did ask for, <laughs> well, not actually, <laughs> a few extra ones in the, in, in the office. Well, I have to say that uh, Papa and Barkley, um, kudos to you for snagging this amazing formulation scientist to help optimize your products and create some new shit. Oh, I'm thrilled. It's it's a really nice complimentary of 
of skill sets. We're very parallel in our visions and our um, ambitions for the cannabis plant and in the use of the products. And so for me, I also get to learn a lot about their processes and the background and the operations, not only on the manufacturing scale, but I'm very keen on discovering as much as I can about the cannabis plant that I don't know about. So that's that's really one of my main objectives here, uh, being in Eureka, is to screen and like, okay, where are some of the the uh, black holes in my knowledge that I, I need to fill? And, and this team is definitely um, who I wanted to work with in, in doing so. And it aligns with my vision and, and sort of what drives me as a, a cannabis formulator is how can I work to implement novel formulations or technologies, but not stripping and processing the plant, really um, preserving it as much as possible. And and the challenge with working um, on rosin, which is Pop and Barclay's extract form, is that it is, well, not a problem. I would say it's more of a, a greater challenge from a scientific perspective uh, because it is is full spectrum, You all, you have terpenes, terpenoids, a, a variety of cannabinoids. You have other plant material in there. So really um, to uncover and find control with such a variable plant is adds an extra level of challenge. And, and for me, I'm passionate about finding ways to use the plant in unique ways beyond just getting people high. And I think with this, with the rosin and the team, and my experience with them so far, it's, it's an ideal fit for, for how I wanted to make that pivot in, in my career and, and develop as a cannabis scientist and entrepreneur. Absolutely. Amen to that. And the thing that I love, a, a couple of things came to mind. One, you know, Pop and Barkley is one of the top 10 cannabis brands in California. I'm sure they're probably top five. And so being able to see the operations of one of the largest cannabis companies in the largest cannabis market in the world, that's some really good marketable skills to be learning. And the other thing, too, is I see the juxtaposition of your experience as a formulation scientist with Big Pharma, where what I see them doing in cannabis is stripping everything down, trying to recreate molecules and and patent stuff where pop and barkley is like okay we're using the whole plan how do we create things in the literal opposite way <laughs> well that's why i wanted to do it because it is is such a challenge and it is beyond the world that i grew up on in everybody my formal training but it's because of that curiosity that started the relationship from the beginning uh, I was with you in 2015 high times. <laughs> I immediately noticed them. We were looking at topicals. It was during the development of MJ Relief back in the day. Yeah. And <laughs> when we thought it was going to be so quick and easy. But I noticed them and I, I reached out and said, I love what you're doing. And then had a call and, you know, we, we crossed paths and, and then one day I reached, I, it was a Chris, one Christmas holiday, I had some time. I was like, you know, I just want to play in the lab because I was being pulled out of the lab as I was building V Innovations. And I asked Boris, who's the COO, for a sample of their rosin because I just want to learn how to work with it. I had been working with distillate and isolate before, so I wanted something 
new and I knew it would be challenging. And so I made a number of topicals and played around there. And then shortly thereafter is when he approached me for this current project that, well, the project that got me in on sort of the foot in the door and getting to know the team, um, which coming out early next year. But, but it was because the curiosity of really, I understood where they were coming from and like, no, we really want to honor the plant. And so we can't use solvents and we have to be mindful of how it's processing. But it's not even just about the plant. It's down to the packaging, to the ink that's being used. There's a lot of detail in the background that um, they're doing to ensure that we're being sustainable and a mindful company because it's one of the largest companies and that's a larger footprint. And we're, you know, setting the example for a lot of new newcomers or, or existing companies. So if we're setting the right example around sustainability and um, mindfulness with these in, the quality of ingredients as well as the process of the of the uh, extract, you know that's that's the camp that I want to hang out with. There's a reason I <laughs> yeah. I made that leap Absolutely. out of pharma. Yeah, and so you talking about the solventless process of Pop and Barkley brings me to, you know, the main event for our conversation is I really wanted to get in the weeds with you on this hemp produced Delta eight. I get probably 10 press releases in my mailbox every day of, you know, some company and they're all over the country promoting their new Delta eight products. And it's like, everybody's jumped on this bandwagon that's on fire. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, it's not going to last long. Like there's already regulations being written to nip this shit in the bud. But I want to have the conversation about why and how it's made. Because when we talk about hemp and we talk about the natural way that this plant grows, it is predominantly CBD, There are very, very trace amounts of any sort of THC, be it Delta 9, Delta 8, whatever. So for something to be advertised as hemp-based Delta 8 gummies or hemp-based Delta 8 flour, there's been some chemical shit happening to that for it to get to that. Like, that's not natural. And so I just want to, like, have that conversation so people, consumers... They can still make those decisions, but I want them to do it with eyes wide open. Yeah, and from an informed position. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anyone who's <laughs> spoken to me at any length knows that Delta 8 is actually one of my favorite cannabinoids. Uh, I first discovered or worked with Delta 8 in 2017 first working on the development of the level tab linguals and then moved it on to the level pro tabs. Well, that was a cannabis company. So that was actually converted from Delta nine to Delta eight. And so you can imagine Delta eight and Delta nine are very structurally similar. There's just a position of a bond um, within the ring, just one position change. So um, and in fact, Delta-8 is more thermodynamically stable than Delta-9. So it's as like a lower energy. It Eventually, Delta-9 will turn into Delta-8. Um, is this from what would cause that reaction? Heat, age, 
or what? And well, it, time, but you can definitely um, bolster that with with reaction <laughs> with with chemistry. <laughs> with chemistry. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, definitely. There's you know you'd have a solvent system and like a a pH dependent reaction that would need that needs to occur. Um, but the important thing is that there is still solvents and processes involved, and it it is as a formulator. I still would not want to do that conversion myself. You have to be a very well-trained chemist, um, synthetic chemist, medicinal chemist, organic chemistry. You really need to know what you are doing. When I was working on the ProTabs, I actually tried the Delta-8 last. For whatever reason, I was more interested in trying the other cannabinoids. And but once I tried it, I absolutely fell in love with it. And for me personally, I f- it really helped enhance my yoga practice. I know we talked about that in a podcast some, some years back. Mm-hmm. And I gave it to, I handed it out to all of my other fellow yoginis in the studio and they loved it. Then they had this, some very similar effects. So I was surprised that uh, it, it really wasn't doing that well. And I think that it just, Delta 8 never picked up. And Well, and that's because nobody knew what it was. Yeah. So if, if you don't have a shelf talker and a little bit of education happenings, people are like, I don't know what that new thing is, but I really know that Delta 9 works for me. And in fact, until we really started talking about Delta 8 and Delta 8 being put on shelves, nobody was calling Delta 9, Delta 9. It yeah. was just THC. Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. that's where it was when those things entered into the market. No, absolutely. And it, and it was definitely um, very much ahead of its time because so, it was launched what, in 2018. And now I've, at that time, I, you know, I, because I loved it, I looked for it um, to integrate into other product types. And it, you know, finding the sources was, was difficult. And so I kind of put that on the back burner, but I always kept my ear um, open for, for good sources of Delta 8 and, and, and spoke with um, a number of companies about it. Now, the well, th- pause, because you talk about finding a good source. You said, you know, you have to be a really good chemist to handle this stuff. So that's what scares me even more about having 10 press releases in my inbox every day about all these companies. They don't all have like badass chemists on their team. Not at all. No. <laughs> and and that's why I will not take a Delta 8 product, even though I've experienced Delta 8. I love it. But I also knew the source was a well-trained chemist. The processes within the lab were optimized and clean and well um, validated. And you're talking about THC, you know, yes. cannabis. I haven't Delta even 8. I haven't even gotten to the CBD. I'm still kind of going down memory lane on on this sort of thing. But um, you know, I am fortunate to kind of when I was looking to to have a more detailed discussion with these company owners, the scientists. But yeah, to your point, Joe you're getting all of these brands and now all of a sudden it's more readily available. And the interest really, if you think, okay, let's move over to the CBD, the hemp side of things. I think that Delta 8 
picked up traction in, say, hemp world because it has slight um, yeah. psychoactive properties. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people want to get high. Yeah. And if their state's not legalizing, then they're going to buy these Delta 8 products. I mean, the people that are really on the Delta 8 train are states that do not have legal cannabis. People with legal cannabis are like, what in the fuck are you people talking about? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, it does definitely give that option to uh, feel yeah, high. Um, it's, it's to a lesser degree, lesser potency, but their mechanisms within the body and the interaction are very similar. One could kind of compare it to a microdose of THC. Um, but there we really don't, there's a lot more research and understanding needed to really drill in on the major differences between Delta 8 and Delta 9 in terms of their their metabolism um, after we've taken them, but also like the binding properties and, and say to your skin or even when you ingest it. So again, we're we're uncovering so much about many cannabinoids, and this is another one in Q, but it's it's kind of highlighted um, or let's say jumped the line in popularity uh, because the the regulations could didn't necessarily catch um, weren't worded to cover all these cannabinoids, and there is some uh, there's a gray area even now that even though you can still get it online, I I will not formulate with Delta Eight in the hemp space. Because I know it's it, it's not going to be allowed soon for one reason that there's other reasons I won't and which will you know I'm sure you want to get into I'll explain but uh, just from that for purpose from a regulatory standpoint um, you are that's actually one of the most challenging aspects of 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 working in a industry with evolving and changing regulations, you kind of have to move and pivot and predict. So even though I can do it now, doesn't mean I can do it in a few years from now. And that, and I've experienced that. Um, I don't always, you know, dodge a bullet, a regulatory billet. So there's have been situations where I've had to change my source or change what I can put in or certain wording and products just because there's new laws that come out. And so that's, yeah. that's another concern too. And that can be really costly if you've just bought, you know, 10,000 units of packaging yeah. and, you know, you've just paid a formulator to get something dialed in and then you're like, okay, great. Well, this product can be on the shelf for a month yeah. and now it's coming down. Yeah. So, you know, the people that are in it right now, they had the cash to do it. They turned and burned on a product and they are riding that wave until it's gone. And, you know, fair enough. But I just have to say that the consumers that are taking these products, you're guinea pigs. This is an experimental use and me diving in to see like, okay, how does this even made? What is the process of going from... CBD, what's the chemical reaction to create Delta-8? And I was watching some videos and there's like flammable poison, like, you know, it can eat your skin off, um, you know, because you're using hydrochloric acid and, and these. So uh, doing. And, yeah. and so I'm like, um, okay, well, that well, sounds a little bit scary. So like I meant, so going from Delta-9 to Delta-8, the, it's a lot less of a change than going from CBD to Delta-8. And, and like I said, Delta-8 is, is more thermodynamically stable than Delta-9. Now, on the flip side, if we go from to CBD, 
um, while it's structurally similar to THC, you do have uh, this open ring. And so what you need to do is first <laughs> close the ring. <laughs> and then, and then there, there is a lot of data or there has been a lot of studies um, from like Adams and Machulam, some very well-known scientists that demonstrate if you expose CBD to acidic conditions, it can turn into THC. As a formulator, I was always interested on this because what if we give a CBD capsule to somebody with an empty stomach and the pH in your stomach is lower when you're, you're hungry? Could that turn into THC in their stomach and then, you know, say they failed a drug test? Can Even if they use something. Acids. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, there were data, there was um, some studies that showed in vitro in the lab that it was possible, but they kept it under acidic conditions for uh, like over an hour or like an hour, which is not as long as it would actually sit in your stomach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it didn't consider like the gastric times. Um, but, and then I, there's some follow-up studies. So it's not, it's not a concern, but it could happen. There's always crazy anomalies. Like the chemistry is there in that it can happen. The extent, the time, the acid, like all of that plays a role. Yeah. Somebody with a really shitty diet. <laughs> A big stomach. Drink it with uh, a Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, and then you have to convert it. So the energy, the solvents, just the use, even, even on the THC side, it's not an environmentally friendly process, but that's a lot more involved if you're going from CBD to Delta-8. So there are different acids that can be used in this process. The one on the video I watched, um, the guy said, hydrochloric you know, hydrochloric acid. acid was the one that he used in his little example of telling us how to make it, but then telling us not to try this at <laughs> home. <so. laughs> on YouTube. Yeah. No, I know that's absolutely terrifying. Um, and it's, bad for the cannabis industry, for those of us who, are, who, are try, who want to do it right and who are in it for the long haul. Because how I view it as there's a surge in interest with Delta 8, we don't know, people, you know, are playing, you know, classically trained chemists on YouTube. And... <laughs> <laughs> And I have, I actually have spoken to a cannabis scientist, I say the word scientist in air quotes, who's like prideful with having done all of his chemistry training on YouTube. And that said, you know, I, not to say you need to be a formally trained and because people can learn these things as they go. I mean, you're a smart person and you apply yourself um, 100%, but there's certain practical aspects that are needed time in the lab. So while you can sit in front of a YouTube channel. Yeah. Did you get 10,000 hours in that lab? Yeah. Like it's just, <laughs> you learn things and there's nuances and there's an art to working in a lab, whatever type of scientist that you are. So that, but I, I'm digressing a little bit, but my point is we have all these people playing chemists and regulatory authorities and healthcare professionals are alarmed as well as they should be. And so they're going to come at us very strong and hit us with a hammer because they don't understand it. And it's going quickly and just do whatever they can to stop. And and I think 
I'm not to say I'm against regulations, but I want pragmatic regulations. So if these regulations come in from this position of, yeah, misunderstanding or fear, and especially these fucking cowboys, Mm -hmm. then I get it because they're... Not Their all cowboys objective. are bad, by the no, way. No, no, not that cowboys are bad. Sorry. I lo- <laughs> and I love my cowboy boots. But no, <laughs> I guess that's... A- Sorry, I don't know. I'm talking to a Texan. Fucking cowboys. I lost my... I forgot what I was going to make. <laughs> but- well, okay. So yes, totally like point hammered home. I absolutely get it. So I want, tell me a little bit about, so we've exposed the CBD to some crazy acid and then this solvent that's used, this toluene. How do you say that? Is it- toluene. Uh-huh. Okay. What is it? It's a processing solvent. It's a common like catalyst. It speeds up reactions. I don't know what class of like solvent it is. So when I was watching my how-to <laughs> how-to videos on YouTube to kind of get a grasp of what the hell this stuff is, this guy is saying, you know, don't do this at home. And if you are doing it, between each step of the process, you should be testing this material, testing to make sure that you flushed all of the toxic shit out of it before you get to the end result. And lab testing is expensive. And, you know, I think that that's one of the components that scares me the most is, you know, people that are trying this stuff and they don't even know to look for a certificate of analysis or anything like that. Yes. Chances are most companies are not stopping the process, testing, running it again. That just from my perspective as a product formulator, it's challenging to tell them we need to do replicates with testing to make sure we have a good understanding because it is expensive. Uh, The other challenge is a lot of times labs don't know what they're looking for or they're not doing the proper method development and validation to identify and pick up what they're looking for. So if you give a sample to a standard cannabis lab, you're going to look at potency and microbes, pesticides. For example, there are residual solvents in there as as well, but it's not looking, it's only looking for a number of residual solvents on all the potential residual solvents that are actually harmful um, that we could be exposed to. So again, labs will only tell you well, what they have in their process and, and looking for. And yeah. chances are, if you go and say, okay, this is what we're doing, make sure we're clearing it, cleaning it properly, then then that's another story. But again, that takes time, that takes money, that also takes understanding your science in order to do that. I can't say with confidence that I, th- that I think most of these companies are. Not saying that there are none out there, but I, but I would say that a lot of them are not right. doing such a thing. And and it's also really challenging too because delta 8 is so structurally similar to delta 9 standard cannabis labs um standard hplc method for potency doesn't necessarily have the resolution to differentiate between the two interesting so you're saying like their equipment isn't sophisticated enough perhaps to determine the difference because they're so structurally similar yeah, I mean, you can, with method validation, if 
if you're talking to a lab like, hey, we have Delta-8 is, is a important cannabinoid in this product. Um, let's make sure we know the concentration of Delta-8 versus Delta-9. So you're saying communication is important? Communication <laughs> is important. Yes. <laughs> Or not go run in a box scientist and come out with <laughs> with results in a product. <laughs> I think that might happen. I think that might happen. <laughs> so no, especially I think if there's any cannabis industry professionals out there listening, make friends with your lab. Help them help you, because <laughs> as is where I sit, I'm off, often in the middle, uh, where the labs are are frustrated with the cannabis brands are not providing enough sample or sample replicates, or they themselves don't have their processes necessarily optimized because the plant can be very is can be very variable depending on what you're you know what you're working with, but on the flip side, the analytical lab you know they are also challenged with all these different product types that they're given to that they have to clean up. Think of that. Well, we could talk about the topical. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I know exactly, <laughs> you know exactly what you're talking about. So, um, and actually, um, well, even with chocolate. So I, we have a new team member, uh, Dr. David Dawson, who comes from the analytical lab. He spent some time at CW and, you know, he found out with the influence of chocolate on affecting the potency results with, with THC. So these things matter. So knowing, you know, going really communicating with us. And so, but most of the time you will need to, to really get a true quantitative and qualitative assessment um, with Delta-8. You're going to have to go into something a little bit more uh, sensitive and therefore costly with your finished product too. Yeah. So just think about those things before you purchase your next Delta 8 product. Like, is it coming from a company or an online source that you shop with a lot? When you go to the About Us page, do you see real humans there? Is there a scientist on the team? Like, those are the sorts of things that we have to do in this volatile, I will say, market of hemp and cannabis right now where it is the Wild West, and there are fucking cowboys that aren't doing it right, you know? So it's on us to make sure that we know what we're putting in our bodies. Yes, ma'am. That's the message I'm getting. <laughs> yes, Does there something else about Delta 8 that I didn't ask you that is important to share? Well, I think it's important to know that if you did try Delta 8, and you enjoyed your experience, then maybe try Delta 9. If you are lucky enough to be in a region that, that where is accessible. Uh, so if you had that bad brownie experience, or <laughs> as I have, <laughs> you can yes. come back from being scared and, and, and truly discover that it at the right, at the right nice light dose it's lovely. And it, it, like you said, it feels like a warm hut or like a warm pillow, right? Yes. Like a pillow. Yeah. So no, that was my description of Delta eight. So like Delta nine, you know how you can have that super heady high. And I never get that with Delta eight. I told Monica and one of our friends last night, I was like, you know, when I'm with my family, I love Delta eight. I said, it's like, I just have this little 
pillow around me, cushioning me from the rest of the world. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think that's why I really liked it with yoga because I have tried microdosing, um, well, of course, THC. And, and I described Delta like THC and CBD had a baby because I did like the sort of the more the body calm effect, but I was still very clear uh, but so in tune to really just hone in on on my practice. And but that said, I also noticed that it made me insanely hungry. And that's not just because I did yoga, but that was that was a common pharmacodynamic response of Delta eight. Interesting. Yeah. This is an area I'd love to explore and maybe I should pick uh Linda Klumper's brain on it next time we speak. Oh, um, Linda. Love I miss her. that little I lady. I just saw her. I saw her on video last Friday. Shout out to Dr. Linda Klumper's. But I was listening uh, to another pharmacologist talking about the topic, and, and he was feeling that it had very similar interactions um, as Delta 9, as, as we're seeing. It's just at a lower effect or lower potency. Um, but there is a difference in pharmacodynamics uh, that that people I've given it to play. I know I'm, I don't want to be like the the typical cannabis brand. Like I give it to a bunch of people, and that's the response. But over years, because it was my f- absolute favorite product to to consume and take for yoga, or when used to go into float tanks. Um, but like on a nice leisurely Sunday, it it can also also feel like the equivalent as like a pro- like a really nice bottle, uh, not bottle, a glass of red wine. It kind of gives you that warm body and that like feeling and that little tingly bit. I'm not convinced that they're identical and that it's just a lower potency. But again, that's just me. There's the science needs to come out and yeah, uh, clear itself up. Do we know, or I know somebody knows, it's just not me. Does Delta-8, is it uh, connect with the CB1 receptor and or the CB2 receptor? I know it has to probably be CB1 for the psychoactive experience, but is there something with the CB2 receptor as well? So Delta-8 and Delta-9 are partial agonists at the CB1 and CB2 receptors. So they bind and um, only partially enhance the function. So to both. To both. Okay. Yeah. To both. Absolutely. And you would be surprised. Um, well, I was I was very surprised uh, in the uncovering of cannabinoid interactions with the skin that cannabinoids uh, interact with other receptors outside of CB1 and CB2 in our body and, and certain channels that, that work and function. So it is really like this in exciting new scientific playground of undiscovered territory um, across all routes of administration. And we we say cannabinoids is like, oh, yeah, there's a class of compounds, but they are so chemically diverse um, from each other. They, you know, I mean, obviously there's similarities. There's a, <laughs> um, in there in putting them in this class. But in terms of my experience as a formulator, um, their physical and chemical characteristics are so distinct that you have to view this as an entirely new compound. Um, and, and one of my pet peeves is when brands will just give the same claim but do a wide variety or different 
cannabinoid offerings because they act in different ways. You know, CBD is better for certain things. CBDA might be better for other things versus THC. So it's, again, not just looking at, like, let's put cannabis in there. We know that, you know, they have anti-inflammatory properties, antimicrobial, yada, yada. Yeah, but okay, which one's the best one? So that's why we start getting in a little bit more targeted. So right now, and it's also because we don't understand a lot, it's very much like throw it at the wall and see what sticks. But coming from the my pharma lens that I'd never resonated with me, and especially I was very fortunate to have worked on a wide variety of cannabinoids straight out the gate as one of my first projects. So I really got to respect the diversity um, just from a purely uh, classical formulation handling standpoint. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was learning those things from you in the process. Not only do they have different effects, but they're like completely each their own ingredient, their own personality. Some are easier to work with. Some are harder to work with. Yeah. It's like going to the office. Yeah, it is. It is. Like <laughs> one has bad taste masking. <laughs> one doesn't flow very well with the others. <laughs> One's too big and bulky and is harder to solubilize than the other. Um, one slightly prefers water. Yeah, so it's just all of these different considerations that go into the product performance attributes that, that people are beginning to adopt, um, but but just not quite yet. Well, thank you for sharing your knowledge and your perspective on the Delta 8 thing. I have just not talked about it because this was the conversation that I wanted to have, and there's not a lot of people that I can have this conversation with and enjoy them as much as I do you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> So basically, folks, people are throwing Delta H shit against the wall right now, and they're seeing what's going to stick. So the regulations will be changing quickly. What is legal will probably not be legal soon. Um, if you're getting quality Delta 8 stuff, great, stock up. Um, but <laughs> the other thing, too, is if you live somewhere where there's a huge demand on Delta 8, y'all need to be banding together to legalize cannabis in your state. Like that would be a yeah. wonderful use of your time. Yes, so, ma'am. You know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you very much. Um, we were laughing earlier when we recorded our very first podcast back in January of 2018 together. It was like, episode 20 something. 28. <laughs> you and I thought we were about to have a product launching and you got busy being a formulation scientist. I got busy just trying to put a fucking paycheck in my account. And yeah, we've now gotten to this point and things are finally clicking and, you know, working through all of the kinks has just shown me like what it truly means to do your due diligence, to like make sure that everything is exactly right. And you know, and make sure that you're testing and retesting and when the labs look weird and like, why, like mm -hmm. having those conversations with the lab, like it's way hard to put out a really good product. And so when somebody is turning and burning a product in like three months, I'm like, I don't trust you. <laughs> 
So I know when you have a lot of money, things can be done faster. And this was just mine and your passion project and the side hustle thing that's finally come to fruition. But, you know, I have mad respect for people that do it right. Amen. And thank you for being one of them. Thank you for being one of them. You got it, sister. (laughs) All right. I love your guts. I love you too. Thanks for hanging out. Chin, chin. Chin, chin. If you found this Delta 8 Spotlight helpful, I hope you'll share this podcast with a friend or family member. And if you want to learn more about Dr. V, cannabis and wellness lifestyle coaching, or wine and weed retreats, head over to the podcast 201 show notes at casuallybaked.com. I am delighted to be on this journey with you, and I want to help build your can of confidence in ways that are meaningful for you. So email your can of curious questions through the website at casuallybaked.com. Or you can always DM me on social. I'm at casuallybaked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and the WeedTube. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, become a podcast patron for $5 per month at patreon.com backslash casuallybaked. I say it all the time. We are all on our own journey. But life is a team sport, my friend. So thanks for doing your part to Puff Puff Pass It On. Yes, it's a high time. We had a high time together. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.